Run in seamless comfort. Runderwear is performance underwear that is always super comfortable and chafe-free, made from breathable wicking fibers. Save 20% with code AMR20 at runderwear.com slash AMR. Bombas makes socks that are comfortable and look great, with a wide variety of options. And for every pair of socks you purchase, Bombas donates a pair to someone in need. Go to bombas.com slash AMR to get 20% off your first purchase. Dipsy is an audio app full of short, sexy stories. If you're looking to heat things up, there's a story waiting for you. Get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash AMR. Welcome to another Mother Runner. This is Sarah Bowen Shea. I'm joined by Liz Waterstrot. Hello, Liz. Hi, Sarah. You you done eating? You were chewing a, a minute ago. <laughs> I, yeah, <laughs> I, I have a a small slice of time here and today, and I was trying to put food in my mouth, which is okay. kind of where I am all day long. I feel I feel like I'm always trying to put food into my mouth. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, if you stick to the three meals and at least two snacks, you know, that's that's a lot of time eating. It is. Yeah. <laughs> Um, well, I want to tell you about, and the audience about, um, the most epic pickleball game I had. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I promise this won't become a pickleball podcast. Wait, have you been waiting since we last spoke to, to share this with me? No, but I realized that <laughs> when Dimity and I recorded answers, which is the only other show that I've recorded since the game, I was like, oh, we missed our opportunity to talk about it. And so I was like, I got, I got to do it. I got to do it. Um, <laughs> so, um, so weekend before last, I played pickleball three days in a row and I went to a new for me, um, set of courts and it was like a half hour drive away. And, um, it was a pretty serious crowd of people. Like, um, I really love laughing. Um, I think people who listen to the show might know that. And I, but I like, you know, making jokes out on the court, having some fun, some camaraderie. And to me, like at the end of the day, I typically don't remember how, whether I won or lost a bunch. I remember good points and I remember having fun and laughing. Mm -hmm. So anyway, so playing with all these people and, um, they're pretty nice courts, but I'm like, yeah, not, not totally digging the interpersonal vibe. And then a guy, Robert from, I've been playing in Vancouver, Washington, and I know Robert, I've played against him and with him numerous times there. So I was like, oh my gosh, Robert. So, um, so I needed, sort of needed to leave to go pick up my twins and take them to, um, uh, play they were seeing. And I was like, oh, Robert, we got to play one game together. And so we go out there and we just are getting our clocks cleaned. And um, when we were down three, six, I said to him, I said, this is going to be a total bloodbath. And, <laughs> and Robert looked at me and <clears throat> he is really great about giving advice and um, kind of uh, he's, he can be somewhat pithy. And he, he said, just have fun and keep taking chances. Oh, I like that. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to just like, I, I have nothing to lose, literally, you know, so try that overhead shot or, you know, try that lob or whatever. So anyway, so then we were down 6'10", and you win at pickleball when you reach 11, 
when one, um, you know, side reaches 11 or you do have to win by two. And so anyway, so we're, and then I start serving and my serve is my weak spot of my game. And I just kept making points. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. At one point I did do this amazing lob over both opponents and a guy who I played with earlier, this guy, Jay, not only sees the shot, but yells out, great lob, Sarah. And I'm suddenly like thinking, Jay's my new favorite person. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I love when people remember my name and that he noticed it and he complimented me. And so anyway, so we are, Robert and I are just on a tear. So we held the, our opponents at 10 and we ended up winning 12-10. Nice. Oh, and I was, I mean, I was buzzing. I actually felt like I was making an audible noise. I had so much excitement and adrenaline co coursing through my veins. Um, I was just like, wow, that was amazing. That was amazing. That was so awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so then, of course, my, my twins had to hear about it. As I, I could tell they're, they're as really as do this entire podcast audience has to hear about it. Yes, yes. Thank you. You just put baby in a corner. <laughs> just, just saying. Yeah, we're all, we're all here for you too. This is like your your pickleball diary, the pickleball diaries with right. Sarah Bonche. Yes, yes. So it was uh, it was a real thrill. So anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So thank you for listening. Thank you for letting me share. It's our pleasure. It's, we're, we're happy to be here for you. <laughs> yes, thank you. Well, all right. Well, um, as people probably know, February is American Heart Month, a time when all people can focus on their cardiovascular health and um, also include heart health as part of your self-care, which is kind of a burgeoning thought in the wellness community that heart health is self-care. So, um, and you know, around these AMR parts, we love self-care and, and um, encouraging people to take it. So um, we wanted to focus an episode on heart health. So today we're talking to two women runners who had major heart incidents um, and uh, just, you know, not the people you would have expected. They were both um, active, very active women in their 40s. So um, Liz and I will have a heart-to-heart, -heart, um, sorry, I couldn't help myself, uh, <laughs> conversation with our first guest after this break. Stay with us. As runners, we have to treat our feet right. Bombas can be part of that plan. Bombas make socks that are comfortable and look great with a wide variety of options. Socks for working out, and work and every activity in your day and your kids day. Bombas socks are made from super soft materials like merino wool, my favorite, pima cotton, and even cashmere. Everything they make is soft, seamless, tagless, and has a luxuriously cozy feel. Get this, if you're a Disney fan, you gotta check out the new Mickey and Friends collection from Bombas. These socks with a cushioned footbed and a honeycomb arch support system feature Mickey Mouse, Donald Duck, Goofy, Pluto, and the whole gang. These comfy, colorful socks will make you smile and they'll make you feel good knowing your purchase helps support friends nearby that you can't see because with every purchase, Bombas donates essential clothing to the homeless community across the U.S. Bombas's mission is simple. Make the most comfortable clothes ever and match every item sold with an equal item donated. So when you buy Bombas, you're also giving to someone in need. Go to bombas.com AMR to get 20% off your first purchase. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash A-M-R for 20% off your first purchase. Bombas.com slash A-M-R. 
Mantras, they can work wonders for helping us runners stay strong during a workout or dig deeper in a race. Well, how about this one from Dipsy? Less pressure and more pleasure. That's a credo I can get behind. Dipsy Stories is an app full of sexy audio stories, and now they even have brand new written stories. Spoken or written, Dipsy helps bring the stories to life anytime, anywhere, no matter who you're into or what turns you on. Imagine this end of day stress reliever, closing your eyes and letting yourself get lost in a world where only good things happen and pleasure is your only priority. Dipsy Stories let you explore your fantasies in a safe, shame-free way. There are hundreds of stories to choose from, and they release new content every week, so there's always more to explore. I love that Dipsy serves up serialized stories, so if you get grooving on one scenario or cast of characters, you can keep the good vibes going. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com AMR. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipsystories.com AMR dipsystories.com slash AMR. In a recent TMI Tuesday post on our Facebook page, we asked if gals wear underwear more in the winter to ward off the cold. As it always does, it prompted a vigorous debate about what to wear under there while running. Love this comment from Brianna. I cannot do commando. Underwear all the way. Full coverage. If you're like Brie, you must try Runderwear. Runderwear is the original performance underwear for running. Runderwear's mission is to eliminate the discomfort caused by ill-fitting underwear, yikes, and to create seamless performance running underwear, basewear, and socks that are supremely comfortable, moisture-wicking, and chafe-free. Runderwear also uses its clever seamless technology in the brand's base layers, like the women's long-sleeve running base layer, which features built-in hand-warming mitts and dynamic heat control that allows you to run warm in the coldest of climates without overheating. I just ordered one for running and, you guessed it, playing pickleball. Word on the street is the top is a big hit with CrossFitters to throw on pre- and post-wad. Save 20% on everything Runderwear makes using a special code exclusively for our audience. Use code AMR20 to save 20% at runderwear.com slash AMR. That's R-U-N-D-E-R-W-E-A-R dot com slash AMR and code AMR20. Runderwear.com slash AMR, code AMR20. Our first guest is Lisa Payne Kirker. Lisa is a 46-year-old mother runner and a graphic designer in New Era, Michigan. In September 2020, while watching a movie at home with her family, Lisa had a heart attack, which she originally chalked up to a panic attack. So thanks for joining us, Lisa, and for sharing your story with us. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah, yeah. So, well, it's great to hear your voice. It was such fun getting to know you at our first ever running retreat um, in 2015 in Little Rock, Arkansas. So, uh, remind me what age your daughters are now? We have Eleanor, who is 16, and Josephine is 14. Mm, So, does Eleanor, does she have her license yet? Oh, it's a bone of contention here. She (laughs) has her permit, and (laughs) we... We've been doing a lot, like seven times back and forth to town every day for her different band and activities, but no, and now it's snowing. So she's, oh. no, the answer is no. Okay, <laughs> she yeah, doesn't that, have all her hours in. <laughs> the, the, the weather does add a whole nother layer, no pun mm-hmm. intended, to the whole thing. So yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, my, um, on the day that my twins were supposed to have their um, actual behind the wheel driver's test, it was raining really hard. And I was like, yeah, I think we can reschedule that. <laughs> so, 
<laughs> yeah, no, her sister, of course, is 14. Can't wait. I mean, she's just chomping at the bit, but Ellie is, she's just, she's happy to have mom and dad cart her all over town. <laughs> uh, so Lisa, tell us a little bit about your running background. Uh, well, I've done, I think I've done all the mother runner basics, um, you know, relays, trail races, lots of half marathons. I ran two marathons, um, the last, probably the last four years, it's mostly just been my, my BRF and neighbor, um, running mm-hmm. around our little dirt roads, but uh-huh. yeah, you know, I, I covered all my bases and checked all the boxes. So. Okay. Okay. So new era is kind of small then if you have dirt roads. Yeah, I think we have 400 people in our town. (laughs) Oh, okay. (laughs) Uh, All right. Okay. So, well, let's just jump right into the deep end. Take us back to that Saturday night when you're watching a movie with your family. And, you know, like, please detail your symptoms and and your course of action. Sure. Um, Well, we were watching Dumb and Dumber, which we will never, (laughs) never, (laughs) ever again. Um, We were sitting on the couch. I was knitting. and I started to feel uh, like I had heartburn and I don't get heartburn. I had heartburn during my pregnancies, but you know, never since. So, and we hadn't eaten anything strange for dinner or anything either. So mm-hmm. I got up and went into the bathroom and was kind of shuffling around to see if we had, you know, antacids or something. Mm-hmm. And while I was doing that, my right arm went to pins and needles. Mm. Um, and so you know, the worry part of me was like, oh my goodness, well, no, it's your left arm. So we're good. You know, everything's mm-hmm. fine. And I called my husband and I didn't want to alarm anyone. Um, and he just said, you know what? It's been really stressful. You're probably having a panic attack. Mm-hmm. So let's just go sit down. And so I did, I went, I sat on the couch, my girls brought me a glass of water and somebody was rubbing my back. And, um, at that time, it probably about 10 minutes of sitting there. It, I started to have that feeling, um, like you're trying not to cry. Mm. Um, you know, like that when they say you're lump in your chest, it's, you know, it's like, you don't want to cry. So it's pressure, but it doesn't really hurt. And, um, then I really did start to cry because it was, it was scary and I didn't understand what was going on. Um, so I said, you know what, I'm going to go upstairs and I'm going to lay down Mm. and hope this just goes away. Um, so here's the part. I, um, I walked up the stairs and there was something that physically stopped me from, sorry, getting to the top of the stairs. And so I, I sat down and I thought, you know what? Some, there's a reason I'm not going into my room. And if this is a panic attack, (laughs) this is awful. And I don't Mm -hmm. ever want to do this again. Um, so I went downstairs, I told Kyle, I was driving myself and he, of course, is like, that's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. so, um, oh, keep wa- keep watching the yeah, movie, honey. Yeah. It's okay. It's, it's such really high, good. it's high drama. I mean, come on. Yeah, it's a really good one. Um, so we, uh, yeah, got in the car. Our girls are old enough that, you know, we just left them home alone. My, my parents are about a mile away and, um, we didn't think it was anything serious. So we went to, the town over has just a really small lo- local hospital. And um, yeah, we went to the local ER. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Wow. So yeah. what, what was your, your treatment like and how long were you in the hospital? Um, well, I, 
my, my mother actually worked at that hospital for 30 years. So when we went in, I recognized some of the faces and, um, uh, you know, they put me in my little room. And as soon as I said that it, I felt like I was having chest pain, Mm -hmm. they were on it. Um, they had, they started drew blood, um, hooked me up to an EKG and I, within 10 or 15 minutes, um, the ER doctor came in and told us I had heart damage and that I was having a cardiac event. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. And, um, yeah, thank goodness. They, they recognized that, um, right away. Um, he had at that time, he said, I've already spoken to the cardiologist, um, in Muskegon, which is a town about 30 miles away. Um, and yeah, they got me hooked up, put me in an ambulance and, uh, sent me on my way to that, um, other hospital. Uh, once we got there, um, they, we went to a separate entrance and then the ER or the front, and, um, there was an entire team waiting for me there. Oh my uh, they took me, uh, what's called the cath lab. Um, and I remember the cardiologist, it was like a scene from ER or something, you know, so you see looking up and he's talking to me and, um, people are putting things in me and doing this, uh, this and that. And, I don't even know what they were putting on me, but I do remember at one point (laughs) this younger man pulling my pants off Mm. and I was apologizing because I was wearing, it's Saturday night. We were watching a movie. I was wearing camo sweatpants (laughs) (laughs) and I just, I remember saying, I'm so sorry. I would never go out in public like this, (laughs) but but anyway, um, they ended up putting um, two stents in my right coronary artery Mm -hmm. um, and I was in ICU for three days and then I got to go home and hug my kids. (laughs) Wow. Wow. Yeah. And because it was during COVID, were the, the girls not able to visit you? Oh, yeah. No, no one was. And uh, like my mom oh. was an ER nurse for 30 years. And I guess she went to the hospital and they, you know, like, no, sorry, ma'am. <laughs> wow. You're not coming in. Yeah. 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 So no, just Kyle. He was there with me. And I, you know, thank goodness for FaceTime and phones. And yeah, mm-hmm. so I could mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. talk to my brothers and my, my family. So. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, Lisa, the nurses at the hospital deemed you, quote, a special unicorn, saying they don't get too many marathon running salad eating women your age with heart attacks. Yet it's from what you told me, the more research you did, the more you realized that that isn't necessarily the case. No, not at all. Um, What I had um, was a SCAD heart attack, S-C-A-D. It stands for Spontaneous Coronary Artery Dissection. Mm. And it's it's not a heart attack that's caused by any of the normal factors. You know, I have low blood pressure. I don't have high cholesterol, no plaque buildup or anything. And, um, unlike a regular heart attack, regular, I guess Mm -hmm. it's caused by a tear in your artery. Hmm. Um, and as my husband describes it, he would try to say, well, imagine a, a garden hose and you have the middle gray part and you have the outside green part. Well, it's like that, that gray part got a, a tear in it. And so the blood left that and then caused all that pressure and buildup between the two layers of the hose. Mm. Um, and they, you know, from what I've read, uh, SCAD accounts for about 30 to 40% of all heart attacks in women in group of women, our age, which is mm. otherwise healthy women from like 35 to 50. And until a few years ago, 
it was not even diagnosed. Hmm. Wow. Wow. So like so many of us during the pandemic, I'm sure you were under more stress than usual when your incident happened. And did you get a sense from healthcare professionals how much stress may have added to the situation? You know, let's say if you were retired and laying on the beach and kid free, uh, would you still have been at the same risk? Um, that, that makes me laugh. Okay. Uh, yes, the, the, my cardio, the cardiologist I am with, um, he's, he said in his, you know, 40 years, he's seen a two of these. Mm. Um, and it's from what they have started to find it's caused by sometimes, um, it's a trauma, like you gave birth or you were in a car accident or, you know, and I, nothing like that happened to me. Yeah. However, if we all think back to September of 2020, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I had, you know, both of our girls were starting online school and they are a students, but they were both struggling. Like so many kids were, and I work from home. So, you know, just like the rest of us, I'm trying to work a full-time job while my kids are constantly asking questions. Mm-hmm. Um, at the beginning of that month, Kyle and I decided to start a huge house remodel project. So on any day, there were five to 10 employees milling around my house, banging on things and tearing out windows and all of that. Um, And every night we were splitting, stacking firewood after dinner. So it, I, I was so stressed at that point. And um, something I remember is Uh, that Friday before, um, I was, I would say having a discussion with my 16 year old 15 at the time, but it wasn't, you know, we were arguing about school Mm -hmm. and I remember saying, I feel like I'm breaking in half Mm -hmm. and you know, I kind of did. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you know, there isn't a lot of research on SCAD, but extreme emotional or physical stress, um, is a factor. So on a on a brighter note, I I, lo- I love that you threw a special party for yourself, uh, the day I didn't die party. Yeah, 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 yeah I have to tell us more about that. Uh, well, I'm not in generally a party thrower at all, but you know, I it felt like a second birthday last year, mm, um, mm. and I wanted to acknowledge it. I mean, for myself mostly, but um, we. I have three brothers and they're all married with lots of kids. So we had all of them over my parents, um, some aunts and uncles and, um, and my, and my BRF, my BWF, sorry. <laughs> and we just had a cookout and we're in the backyard and really it was, yeah, it was just a perfect way to remind me that, um, yeah, that it's, I'm still alive. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, what was your recovery like and in, in your return to running? Um, well, we will use the term running (laughs) very loosely. Um, I, for recovery right after I spent, um, 12 weeks attending cardiac rehab three days a week. Um, Mm -hmm. and it was just me and kind of a bunch of grandparents, uh, and lots of questions (laughs) as to why I was there. Um, one day I was, they finally had me running on the treadmill and they had worked me up to, um, running sprints and I'm, I'm hooked up to heart monitors and stuff the entire time. So they can just see how my heart is reacting to the stress. And, um, there was an incident with a rather grouchy woman who yelled at me for showing off. (laughs) (laughs) 
Uh, and I've never been accused of being fast in my life. So, <laughs> uh, but um, other than that, let's see, I, my cardiologist wants me to keep my heart. I, I can't go over 140 to 150 for um, prolonged periods of time. And I trained for my second marathon using one of the AMR heart rate programs. So I'm mm-hmm. very familiar with the frustration of keeping it low. And I mean, to be honest, there's a lot of running and walking, but, um, that and strength training, I'm yeah, doing embracing strength training, but I have gotten out of stacking wood because I'm not allowed to lift anything over 50 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> Darn. Yeah. I, I, I have to ask, do you like, do you heat your house? By... Yes. Oh, yes. okay. okay. Yeah, we don't like, just hoard it. <laughs> yeah. I was like, wow, you really like fires, we huh? Do really like fires. <laughs> yeah, we do. We heat the house with wood. Okay. All right. Okay. <laughs> so thinking about, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now, mm-hmm. are there changes that you had to make or you were inspired to make in order to make sure, you know, you're, you're still around? Um. Yeah. I mean, I... I had, there were certain, there were medications like the, the typical medications that they give to someone after a heart attack. But, um, like I said, I don't have high cholesterol or blood pressure. So it took about three months for, um, me to work with my cardiologist and get that figured out because I felt terrible. <laughs> I mean, truly terrible being on those. Um, so I'm, I take a daily aspirin every day and that is it. Um, as far as lifestyle, i just do what I was doing. You know, we're pretty healthy eaters and I like being active and getting out and, um, you know, daily movement, not necessarily exercising, but, you know, hiking and all the normal things. Um, but I do have to remind myself that it's okay to take a break and I can't do all the things all the time. And even if my brain thinks I can, um, I have to remind myself that it's okay to sit down and read a book. And even if everything's not checked off my checklist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that must be hard. I mean, you know, you're, you're your own boss, you have, you know, two teen daughters, you're used to being active, you've run a bunch of races. I mean, so how has it been in your head with all of this? It's, it's a challenge. Um, I, I've always kept a, like a planner and, and a, you know, a to-do sheet. And now I sit down on Sundays and I, I honestly look at what it is I need to get done and schedule it. And it's, it's not everything. I mean, I might, one thing for the house that day might be sweep the floors. And if that doesn't get done for another week, it's okay. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I have to remind myself that if a friend stops by and I have a basket of laundry in the living room that isn't folded, it's, they're still going to be my friend. It's okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Just being yeah. honest with myself. Yeah. 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 Um, so I love that you approached me with your story because you wanted to share it with the AMR community because you felt like you, yes, you're a special unicorn, but there's probably other unicorns maybe who are listening. So, you know, what's your message to, to the women listening? Um, uh, I've been thinking about this. Um, Number one, I mean, it seems very obvious is, you know, listen to your body, know that when something feels wrong, it, you know, it might be wrong. Um, but bigger than that, I think I would say it's okay to say no. Mm -hmm. Um, I was the best at saying yes to all the 
housework, all the cooking, you know, the work projects, house projects, church, book group, all the things, I was the best at it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was raised in a family where hard work is put about everything else. And I felt like by saying no, I was letting someone down. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can't, you can't say yes to everything. It's going to, you know, eventually caught up with me. Um, so, I mean, little things like post heart attack, things that changed where I don't leave from work. You know, I don't leave early, cut my day short to go pick my kids up after school because it's an hour bus ride home. They ride the bus. <laughs> they now <laughs> ride the bus and that didn't go over well, but you know, they, I don't pack lunches anymore. It's, they take school food and I don't worry about Instagram worthy lunch boxes every morning. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I can't help out with my nieces and nephews as much because, you know, I'm always home. So other people look at that as I'm always home, mm-hmm. <laughs> but you know, I, I say no. And we, as, as women who want to be seen as capable and, um, you know, able to, to handle everything without it breaking our back, it's just, give yourself the grace of not going to the concert because you, you know, you don't want to disappoint your friend who bought these tickets. But if you really feel, um, I say that because it happened, of course, but Mm. it's, it's okay to say no. And, and people will understand. And the hardest part is getting ourselves to accept that, I guess. So Mm -hmm. say no. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So yes, I do say yes to a lot of things. Uh, well, Lisa, thank you for really opening up and sharing. And, and I think the, um, I really hope people heard what you said about the importance of saying no, because I think, um, we need to do that more often. So, yeah, yeah. So, so take good care and I hope our paths cross in person again sometime soon. Yes, I would love that. And nice to meet you, Liz. Likewise. Good luck to you. <laughs> All right. Thanks. Our next guest is Darlene Anita Scott, a poet and creative writer professor in Richmond, Virginia, who at age 41 in 2016 was in heart failure despite training for her eighth marathon at the time. As Darlene will detail, it took doctors a while to pinpoint her true cardiac condition and to find a way to manage it. Um, Thanks for joining us, Darlene, and I'm so pleased to have found you through the magic of the internet. Yes, thanks for having me. Uh, Hi, Darlene. I know you got started in 2010 uh, with your running, and then you progressed pretty quickly to running marathons. Tell us a little bit about your running background. Sure. Um, Well, you know, I I wasn't a runner in high school. In fact, I was not an athlete whatsoever. (laughs) So, Mm -hmm. um, But then I started, as an adult, I started going to the gym, and I started uh, dance class in particular. And and so that's really where I got into wellness or, or fitness, I should say. And, um, and running happened probably around, um, actually it happened in 2010. My friend suggested that we run a 5k together. And so, um, I, I, I interestingly enough, we never ran that 5k, <laughs> but uh, in the process I moved. And when I moved, I ran into a literally ran into a running group and that's how I started running like a lot because I was running by myself because I started to enjoy it after she, she suggested that. But, uh-huh. but yeah, that's how that, that's how that happened. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you alluded to um, the group it's uh, if I'm not mistaken, it's river city runners of color. Could you talk a bit about um, that group and what part they played in your evolution as a runner? Sure. River city runners of color, um, 
they, we're now defunct, but, you know, lifelong friendships. But one morning I was running, I had just moved back to Richmond at the time, and I had just taken up running several months before, and I was out running in the morning, and I saw this large group of African-American folks running. Mm-hmm. I was thinking, who are they? I need to, I need to meet these people because I, <laughs> I need someone to run with. And, um, and one of them, uh, my dear friend, my late friend, Bernard, yelled out and said, you should run with us. Look us up when you get home. We're River City Runners of Color. And so I finished my run. I looked them up, and, and the rest is history. They were training for a half marathon. And that's how I got into distance running because I, I went out with them the next week and they were running and I ran, I think, eight miles. I had never run that far before. <laughs> and, um, and they said, you, you know, if you can run like that without thinking about it, you should, you should really consider this half marathon. So um, they have everything to do with the fact that I continue to run, but also um, more, more so continue to run distance because I don't even think I, I thought about running those distances until mm-hmm. I met them. Nice. Nice. So Darlene, I know your heart failure wasn't sudden, like a heart attack, and there are lots of details. So can you share with us some of the broader strokes of the picture of what happened? Yeah. Um, let's see. The broadest stroke is I was well running and I noticed that my train, I was training for a marathon and I noticed that my training wasn't going like it usually went. Like I couldn't seem to get my speed and I couldn't seem to, I, I had the endurance. Um, it, it was slow going, but I would always start out slow, but, um, but it was mostly because I couldn't seem to get my speed up, like in the conditioning phase of the training. And that's, that's what alerted me that something wasn't quite right. Like I was like, this, this doesn't seem, this, this is nothing like what I'm used to. And I was used to, you know, um, training every season or whatever. So, um, I, I addressed it with my primary care physician from there. I just said, you know, I'm running. She knew I was a runner. And I said, but it doesn't seem to be improving. And I feel like I'm sleeping a lot. And But the sleeping a lot, I, I kind of associated with with my lifestyle. I was busy. And I, w- I would get up really early and I would go to bed really late. And I would fill the day with stuff to do. So I just thought that it had to do with that. Um, but then inside of that training season, so I, I teach, as we said, and it was summer break. And I was like, well, you should be getting more rest now because you're not teaching summer school. Mm-hmm. And it didn't seem like I could get enough rest. So those are the two um, things that told me something wasn't right. I, I certainly didn't expect it to be heart failure, but um, but here we are. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. So have medical professionals given you a sense of how your condition is related to your race as well as did you get a sense of how much your race affected the speed at which your condition was diagnosed and a course of treatment was decided upon? Sure. Um, let's see. Well, you know, for my, my primary care physician um, was really quick. Like, so as soon as I went in for my annual physical and was telling her these were things that were going on, she immediately ordered tests. She did a test in the office just to check my lungs and then she ordered tests. Mm. And so, um, so as, as far as that went, like everything moved really quickly, but it was a, a matter of uh, figuring out what it was not. Mm-hmm. Like, so when we, when I went in, she's thinking, you're a runner, you're, you're healthy, you eat healthy. So I'm guessing that it's probably not anything serious, but there's something going on. So we'll take a look. In fact, she thought it was exercise induced asthma. Hmm. She said, probably apparently here in Richmond, people develop allergies. And, um, 
And so that she was like, you've been here for some years. You've probably developed allergies and now they're starting to show up, you know, in your life. But uh, we did the test. The test being a first, I started with a pulmonology exam. So just to test my lungs, my lungs looked great. And so they, um, they said, well, next up, or my primary care, I should say, said next up, we'll do a chest x-ray to see if we can see something else um, in your lungs that, that isn't being picked up. Still looking really at the lungs. It was in the chest x-ray that we saw that my heart was enlarged. Mm. And that's, you know, but in any case, um, as far as, as, as race went, as, in my situation, it didn't seem to affect the initial diagnosis. Mm-hmm. I think where race started to come in, and it, maybe it wasn't just race, um, it was also probably a little bit of ageism, mm. was that um, after diagnosis, so we identified what the issue was within a few months of testing. Um, but then it was, well, why is this happening? And that's where race started to come in, into play. Mm. So the diagnosing cardiologist told me when I said, well, well, why would this happen to me? Like, you know, what, what is the underlying cause? And he said, well, you know, African-Americans tend to have high blood pressure, which mm-hmm. I didn't have high blood pressure. Mm-hmm. I've never had a problem with my blood pressure. And that was the first time that race really even entered the conversation mm-hmm. um, in terms of, you know, in terms of my diagnosis. Mm-hmm. And really, I would argue is the only time it's really played a major role in, um, in even my treatment. Mm. Okay. Interesting. So what was the course of treatment? The course of treatment began with, uh, just trying to lower my blood pressure and lower the, um, lower the work that my heart was doing. So, (laughs) you know, you all can relate to this. The first thing they said was don't run. I'm like, don't run. You mean don't run how far? (laughs) You know, are are you saying three miles, five miles? What are we talking? And he he looked at me like I was like nuts. And he's like, uh, this is a diagnosing cardiologist. And he's like, "Uh, I mean, no miles. Mm. And I said, huh, well, I had a marathon coming up in a month, but my training wasn't going that great anyway. So I guess it won't be the worst thing. He's still kind of looking at me strange. But um, but in in any case, we started with – with lowering the exercise, you know, like we need to rest her heart and medication over time that grew into, um, what I I now have a a ICD implant Mm -hmm. because it also brought about arrhythmia. So it's not just that my heart muscle is weak. It's also that I have some rhythm problems that can't come from, you know, the heart failure. Mm -hmm. So, um, so the treatment has been first medication and, and lowering my, um, my exercise, and then uh, then the implant, and then now we're moving into treating the cause of the heart failure, which is I think we we were going we talked about this outside of the call, but um, the cause of the heart failure being autoimmune disease. So oh, mm, oh, yeah, huh. so so Darlene, from the photos you sent, it seems like you have what I would call a almost special bond with the implant in your chest. Um, you, you made a cake, uh, for, for, I don't know if you made yes, it for the, yes, the yeah. Yes. And, and it has a name. Tell us more about that, please. Sure. Uh, I named my implant Zinzi, uh, and before wearing Zinzi. So I guess this, I, I, I'm sorry, I forgot this when we were talking about the treatment plan. 
before I got the implant, I wore what's called a life vest, which is a defibrillator, uh, an external defibrillator, and you wear it. It, it looks like football pads. It's not attractive, but you know. <laughs> but I wore that for a time while we tried to figure out what was going on and if I could get my, we could get my heart back on rhythm without actually implanting it. And I named that Sela uh, or named her Sela because I had to make. I had to make peace with it, you know, that mm-hmm. I'm walking around with this battery pack and these football pads. But, mm-hmm. um, and so when I got the implant, I, I, at first she had no name and I, and then I just started trying to, again, make peace with the idea that there was something, um, no longer foreign, but at the time felt foreign in my body. And so I named her Zinzi and we have a relationship because I always say that she's my sidekick and she's there to protect me if anything should go wrong. And yes, the cake you saw in the pictures was um, us celebrating our, I think that, which anniversary was that? I think that was our second anniversary <laughs> together. So yes, we. I love, I love <laughs> we as, if you, just, as if you just asked Zinzi, which anniversary was that that I made the cake for us? <laughs> <laughs> yes, we absolutely are. We are partners for life. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. (laughs) So have you been able to resume any activity or dare I say any running while going through all of this? Yes. Yes. After I got the implant, I was able to resume running in two weeks. So I had not run at that point for about a year. And then uh, my electrophysiologist said in two weeks, you're allowed to run. So two weeks to the day Mm. with my, um, my, uh, what do you call it? My sling on to keep my my arm from moving too much. I went out and I ran and I, (laughs) Mm. oh, it was a beautiful experience. And I've been able to continue running since. Now I have not been able to resume distance running which, um, which is a disappointment. And that's only because of exercise tolerance. So I'm trying to build my tolerance still with Mm -hmm. the goal of eventually at least being able to finish one more marathon. Um, but in the meantime, I've been able to resume, um, resume all activity up to my tolerance level. And so I'm just working on building that tolerance so that I can do more and more. And again, eventually I would like to run at least one more marathon. I don't know. I used to want to run a 50 miler Mm-hmm. But I don't know oh, wow. if the body that I now have will allow that. So, mm-hmm. you know. Wow. 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 So the exercise tolerance, talk a little bit more about that. Are, are, like, is there some, mm-hmm. do you kind of feel you hit, um, you know, a wall in a way? Or is that something that the doctors tell you? Or is it something, you know, Zinzi sends out a bat signal to you and tells you, <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> Zinzi will send out signals, actually. Oh, she will send uh-huh. them to my doctor. So one day I was running and I decided I was going to sprint at the end of the run. And uh, Zinzi was trying to tell me to slow down, but I didn't hear her. And so she sent she sent messaging. She attempted to send what we call treatment. And treatment is essentially where she paces me out of a, a, a rhythm that's too fast. I, and I was sprinting, so I'm sure my heart rate was up. Um, she was trying to bring that down and I, I, I did not hear. And Uh so I got a call when I came in that said, is everything okay? And I was like, is everything okay? Yeah, I'm fine. You know, and they Uh said, Oh, Uh essentially Zinzi had told them, you know, she's out here (laughs) doing stuff that I think might be too much. (laughs) Um, but yeah, (laughs) so Zinzi does send, send that signals. but in terms of exercise tolerance, I, um, I'm allowed to do as much as I can tolerate. So um, my doctors have 
entrusted me. Like they said, we trust that, you know, when it's time to say when. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so I do as much as I can. And when it feels like this is a bit too much, then that's, when I back off, sometimes knowing that it's too much doesn't happen until after the fact. So that means that I might do a run and, and then come in and I sleep for hours afterwards. That means I did too much. So don't go that far next time, you know? Uh Um, But for the most part, I think because I was conditioned for that kind of running and stuff, I was um, really aware of my body Mm -hmm. And being really aware of my body, I'm still very aware of it. So I don't, I don't usually overdo it. Like I don't usually Mm -hmm. have that problem. And, and of course we know as, as runners and triathletes and so forth about um, progressive training and so forth. Mm -hmm. I know like I'm not supposed to go from running seven miles to, you know, 10 miles in Mm -hmm. in a week. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Yeah. It does sound very much like you're very in tune to your body particularly for a runner who at that point when this this ordeal started you'd been running for six years so to to have noticed like oh my speed isn't picking up like it normally does in a cycle like i'm really impressed with how how you noticed all of that yeah yeah Yeah, i i often wonder if others wouldn't wouldn't notice too that is others who uh, athletes others you know who who Mm -hmm. use their bodies a lot Mm-hmm. Um, but may- maybe not. I-, I-, I mean, I was very aware and I remember, I remember talking to my parents about it. I was like, it's something, I don't know. I just can't seem to speed up. No, mm-hmm. you know, my mother being a mother, um, mm-hmm. was like, I-, I would like you to slow down. <laughs> like, you know, and I was like, Oh no, no, <laughs> that's not the remedy. But, um, yes, exactly. and I, so I remember noticing, I, w- I would call her after a morning run. Sometimes I'd say today was good. And, or this is what happened. Um, uh-huh. And so one day I was running and, and I could feel that like I was losing it, if if you will. Like I was like, this is, I'm not speeding up. I feel like I'm sluggish. And Mm -hmm. so I just started sprinting. So I got really excited about this and I called her and, (laughs) you know, she still talks about that. She was like, and I was thinking, are you crazy? (laughs) You know, (laughs) something's not right. And you're sprinting. And I was, but me, I was excited that I could sprint through it. So I thought that my body was telling me, no, you just need to do more. Um, so even in listening to it, I think I got just really, one of the things that I've said, um, I had a coach who said, he said, sometimes you have to get comfortable in your discomfort. And I got really comfortable in the discomfort. So I would just keep going because I was like, oh, you're just uncomfortable because it's kind of like mile 18 is supposed to hurt. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 Uh, I know sometimes when I'm um, trying to run faster, I'm like, oh, and I don't want to check, you know, my GPS to see what I'm actually doing. I'm like, okay, either I am going faster or it just hurts and I'm not producing, having the output that I wanted. And I don't think I want to know the answer to that, you know? Um, Wow. Wow. (laughs) Um, So in an article highlighting your story on the American Heart Association website, you um, say, in the beginning, I thought we could fix it. Now I realize there's not a fix, but there's management. So as a runner, how does that, how does that reality sit with you? Um, it doesn't sit well, I'll be honest. Um, mm-hmm. I have my good days and my bad days as far as that goes. I still, like I was talking about aspiring to run another marathon and aspiring and always like in training mode, like you're going to get better. So, um, so yeah, I'm just, I'm I'm kind of always looking for the next thing. I was talking to my cardiologist what, two weeks ago for our, our annual appointment. 
And I said, you, you know, my personality is that I'm always, if you tell me there's something else I can do to improve myself, if you tell me eat beets every day, I'm going to eat beets every day, <laughs> you know, with this aspirational goal of, you know, of getting better. So as much as I know that there's, um, there's not a fix, but mm-hmm. uh, I'm always looking for what can get me closer to my ideal. And my ideal would be, again, to be able to, to run for a lifetime, to mm-hmm. be able to run comfortably for a lifetime, but particularly to be able to do the distance running. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if that's going to be true, but I'm always going to be aspiring in that mm-hmm. direction. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, I think even, you know, for people who haven't, like myself, who haven't had a heart incident, incident I think that's what we all aspire mm-hmm. to is to be able to keep doing that so we that resonates for sure um so yeah. you know I I can't even imagine how this ordeal must have sent your mind reeling um if you could talk please about some of the ways you've processed the experience including your poetry and reaching out to women heart which was um a nonprofit organization I'd yeah. never heard of before yeah I and nor had I and I was looking for a support group probably within the first month or two after diagnosis, because as much as you have friends and family who are supportive, um, if they haven't experienced it, then it's, it, they can be supportive to only to a point. And so, um, so I was looking for somebody who would understand like the roller coaster of emotions I was going through, especially in that very beginning. Mm-hmm. And that's how I found women heart, just Googling, uh, looking for support groups. And I couldn't find one that was local, but I was able to find that they had support groups online and they had some, a program called sister match. And so, um, and sis, with sister match, you essentially find a mentor and you can select, uh, aspects of the mentor that are similar to you. So maybe they have the same kind of heart event or heart situation. Um, what I ended up, um, being mentored by a woman who was, uh, I think a two or three time, um, Ironman. And uh, eventually got a heart transplant. And, you know, and and so she could also, aside from understanding my condition, she could certainly also understand my um, my mindset, uh, you know, the athletic mindset and so forth. So um, so that was helpful. And because of that experience, I decided that I wanted to to be a volunteer or what they call community educators or women, women heart champions. Um, with Women Heart, because I was like, well, maybe I can be that for somebody. The other mm-hmm. thing was I spent a lot of time and still do with people who um, who aren't used to seeing heart patients that are, quote unquote, like me. Like, you know, they're like, oh, you're a heart patient and you run, you know? And, mm-hmm. Yeah, I do. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, that, that was helpful. And I wanted to be that for someone else. And that's how I got involved with Women Heart. So I got involved first as a uh, a consumer of their care and then mm-hmm. became mm-hmm. a volunteer myself. That was one way that I dealt with um with this whole situation. And then the other way because I am an artist, mm-hmm. initially I I avoided using art for this. Like I was like mm-hmm. I don't want to bring this into my art, but it's mm-hmm. next to impossible and I had an uncle who suggested that I write things down. He was mm-hmm. like, "So even if you don't write poems, just make sure that you're journaling and you're, you know, you're following your feelings and so forth." And um, and so I began to do to do that just to journal. And then from journaling, I I ended up producing a few poems, um, a little bit of artwork, but the artwork is mostly in pieces. It has never mm-hmm. been fully realized. But in any case, it gave me it gave me some direction and a way to process. And I, you know, 
I'll always be processing. So I'm always still writing Mm -hmm. around it. I'm always still creating around it, among other things, Um, Mm -hmm. because now it's like Zinzi. It's a part of me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Have you ever written a poem for Zinzi or about Zinzi? Have I written a poem about Zinzi? You know, yeah, I did, but in it, <laughs> it was more about uh, running, but it talks about, it was shortly after the implant and, mm-hmm. and kind of talking about my first run after. Mm-hmm. And so, so she appears, she makes an appearance. <laughs> it's not okay. necessarily <laughs> just about her. Yeah. 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 So, so based on your experience, whether um, just out and about or with, through Women Heart, um, what advice would you give other women runners, especially women of color, about heart health? Sure. Um, you know, like one of the things we were talking about earlier in this conversation was paying attention to your body, like knowing your body. Mm-hmm. And that, that could go for any women, um, particularly women, I think, because women, we're, we, we tend to be caregivers for other folks mm-hmm. and we forget to pay attention to ourselves. Um, and I think that that's even exacerbated when you're an African-American woman. Um, and so really taking time to take care of yourself, but to pay attention to yourself, because it's kind of like me talking about, like, I, I heard Zinzi, but I ignored her. I didn't know, mm-hmm. know if that's what I was hearing. Um, and so we have to be really mindful of paying attention to ourselves because we tend to pay attention to everything that's going on around us, for caring for other folks around us. And we forget to listen to our own bodies and pay attention to what our own bodies are doing and mm-hmm. telling us. And so many times what they're doing, they'll do is they'll whisper to us for a long time. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, we kind of drown out the whispers with everything else. And then eventually they scream. But when they scream, um, you know, a lot of times it's, it, even if it's not too late, it's, it's gone so far that they've been forced to yell and mm-hmm. the yelling is harder to, to calm down than the whispering. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, hearing you talk, darling, I, I makes me want to read your poetry because you had such poetry in that answer, <laughs> even though you're speaking in full sentences. Oh, so, so thank you. Um, well, I'm so glad <laughs> that we connected and thank you so much for sharing of yourself and your story. Sure. Thanks for having me. This was great. Good, good. Take care of yourself. Thank you. I will. So I think, folks, you're going to love our plans for Valentine's Day. Speaking of hearts, um, on Monday, February 14, registration for our latest round of our virtual event series, Love the Run You're With, it opens. Uh, this time it's going to be three virtual rent events this spring uh, over the course of a 10-week training program. That's how this is different than um, just a quote-unquote regular virtual race that we have a training component to it as well. Um, 10 weeks of all the workouts, there's runs, strength training, and more. There's also a really fun, cute activity tracker. Um, and ooh, we are so excited about the amazing swag. It's valued at $60, including an incredibly cute tote bag, custom crew socks, a pair of right sock, running socks, noon, goo, chews, a medal, and more. Uh, The training kicks off on February 28, and we're very pleased it culminates on, appropriately enough, Mother's Day. So registration for this $99 program opens on Valentine's Day. We're guarantee you'll love the program. Um, you can find it on our website, anothermotherrunner.com, under the training tab. Our podcast today was produced in Portland, Oregon, by Alex Ward from Sounds Like Pictures. Many happy miles. Many happy miles.